Do we think Dr. Phil would be nearly as popular if he didn't have a mustache? Absolutely not. I think he'd actually be more popular flipping it. I think he'd be more popular with like a like a handlebar mustache. Well, um, so uh, so I saw the Glass Onion film on yeah. Netflix, yeah. and one of the things Ryan Johnson said was an idea he had when he did the first film in the series was he wanted the detective played by Daniel Craig to have a completely different accent in every single film with no explanation. Oh my god! And I'm like, that would be so funny, but apparently the producers nixed it because it's like too conceptual and like whatever. The audience wouldn't get it. But I'm thinking, what if Dr. Phil had a different mustache every single season? Or oh. even every single episode just mixed it up. So, like, you had the the handlebar, you had the whatever the fuck his is. What do you call that kind of mustache? The curtain bang? Ugly. <laughs> I'm Naomi Guy, that's Joel Guy, and I'm going to speak for him today. Great, pick up the book, do some work around here. <laughs> today we are back for part two of Dr. Phil, Love, Love Smart. Smart, and uh, we, we've discussed Dr. Phil in previous episodes very, very briefly. Were we too harsh on him? No, no, not... Should we be harsher on Yes, we definitely should, because imagine, like, remember Steve Harvey's episodes, where all we did was just flame him? Well, it wasn't like... Okay, maybe it was a little bit like that. Yeah. It was more of like Steve Harvey completely misunderstands the character of women. Joel- and Dr. Phil <laughs> likes bullying mentally unwell teen girls. Joel only wanted to do this series because he didn't want to come off as racist for only attacking <laughs> Steve Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that is the only reason. It has nothing to do with the popularity of these people and the number of books they've written. I don't understand why dr phil didn't get a movie based off his book but steve harvey did no no the movie get smart with uh, <laughs> steve carell in like 2008 that was clearly based uh, okay. off of this okay. not the 1960s tv series uh, okay yeah but i'm hoping that think like a man three will have a crossover and maybe like it'll start off like a spin-off universe of yeah. all the dating guides so you have like the the negging culture guide universe You'll have the Dr. Phil universe. You'll have the Men Are From Mars universe. Ooh, that's going to be like sci-fi and high conceptual. I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm thinking a Men Are From Mars movie would be like Yellow Submarine with like really, really horrible animation and like songs that the guy's written. It's just Yellow Submarine, but... We all live in a patriarchy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A patriarchy. A patriarchy. A patriarchy. So Naomi... Yes. Do you do you want to remind our audience of what we discussed in part one of Love Smart? Part one. Uh, we Dr. Discussed, Phil sucks. Yeah, Dr. Phil. Um, so we discussed a little bit of his background, why he sucks, why his show sucks, um, the fact that he doesn't have a license, and then we moved on to the fact that he's a fake feminist and that... He's a real feminist who doesn't believe lesbians exist yes. or that his audience can like tolerate he's them. He's not an ally. <laughs> He's not a queer ally, but he is an ally for single moms across America. Is he, though? 
Well, is it as long as they him? as long as they lift weights to improve their bust line, that is. Is that a good enough summary? Well, then he also talked about how you, as a woman, uh, need to think about dating. You need to define your personal brand. You need to like figure out what your negotiables and non-negotiables are, and then you need to make your eighty twenty rule list. And he started the first of many many lists of attributes that he will bring up throughout this book. Before we continue, Naomi, what are we drinking today? We are drinking a McFuddy Distinctly Strong Pepper Elixir. So I should say this. Our parents have done very little to financially support our podcast. That's not a knock on them. That's a that's that's us hyping ourselves up as not being Nepo babies. Um, <laughs> but for Christmas, they did buy us a bunch of weird sodas that we could try on the podcast. And so this is one of them. I've actually tried this when I was in Lawrence, Kansas over the holiday. It's pretty good in my mind, but I'm interested in what you it's think. It's handcrafted, luck-infused, cures tibness, and satisfies the daring. Oh, cheers. I am a daring. Oh, God, that tastes so familiar. It, it's it's very much like root beer, sarsaparilla-inspired. It doesn't really have a pepperiness until you get to the end. It's very subtle. I enjoy it. Honestly, it, I wonder if you could cut like half the sugar out and make it almost like a recreational beverage, like apple cider vinegar shots or whatever. I wish it was more bubbly. Other than that, it's good. Yeah, it's it's enjoyable for what it is. It tastes, oh my God, it tastes like those Fago sodas. Oh, a little bit. The ones that used to get at like the dollar store yeah. or whatever. That's what it tastes like. like but the like, soda. good for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Naomi. Is this good for you? Chapter two. Oh, sorry. Chapter three already. Wow. We are just rolling through this. The character of you. So we've talked about what you don't want in a relationship. Oh my God. It has 82% of your daily intake of sugar. <laughs> Boy, I guess that's what they mean by daring. Do you dare to get diabetes? <laughs> okay. Nail me. Focus. Yes. You know what you want in a man. I do. But how are you going to sell yourself? In this weird, like, semi-prostitution analogy of dating that Dr. Phil has constructed. You gotta figure out what your personal truth is, Naomi. And if your personal truth is negative and riddled with doubts, distortions, and shame, you scream that message to the world in a million and one nonverbal ways. I think there's a lot of truth to this, insofar as one of the sexiest things both men and women, like, say when they're looking for partners on dating apps is that they really like confidence, and that's a big thing that women stress is they really find confidence attractive. And I don't think it's like being a dick to people confidence. I think it's just like someone who owns who they are and like isn't constantly trying to like tiptoe around or like please individuals. Well, that and the fact that like it helps a lot in communication for communication reasons. And yeah. Like uh, issues as well. Uh, I feel as if. If you are more confident within yourself, you're not going to take those small indiscretions like, oh, I didn't say good morning to you this morning or something like that a lot easier. Maybe. Than you would if you were not confident and you were pessimistic in I, yourself. I, I think it pr- might be related to that, but it's probably more related to like physical attractiveness where it's like someone who's more confident in themselves is probably going to like dress nicer. They're probably going to like gonna carry themselves taller. in a different yeah. way. They're yeah. probably going to be like fun to approach, yeah. right? No, They're agree. not going to like constantly be apologizing or second guessing or like freaking out over things that you've done. Yeah. And so I think it's attractive in that sense. So good on Dr. Phil for saying that, <laughs> telling women to believe in themselves. 
And he follows that with, oh, I get it all right. You have a history that maybe you're not proud of. Maybe you slept with enough guys to make up two football teams, including the practice squads. So he you're goes. Done. You're canceled. <laughs> if all the things that you have said and done before didn't cancel you, he's like, "Well, you may be a slut, but even sluts deserve love." Is it because this woman is busty? He's <laughs> talking about. Yeah, yeah. I don't get why he follows that. He's trying to be funny, or maybe he like thinks it's worth underlining that like even women who's had a lot of sex like deserve love. But he's doing it in a way that. <sighs> doesn't make his point and again seems more to appeal to the middle-aged women's sensibilities of you know the people who watched oprah and then read this book so now he does point out it's possible you have some deeply entrenched scarring in your life such as abuse if these things have happened to you your suffering is very real and understandable a damaged self-image compromised self-worth and negative self-truth are all to be expected do not for one second trivialize the experiences by telling yourself you've got to gut up and get over it those experiences can cause you to devalue yourself, and they can lead to decades of believing you are damaged goods who no one would want for any reason other than sexual gratification. While it is wrong thinking, it is understandable. You would probably need to get professional help to overcome that, and not because you need it, but because you deserve it. Whether you ever form a relationship with someone or not, the most important relationship you ever have is the one with yourself. So get help, if not for the sake of creating a healthy relationship, then for the sake of creating your own peace and joy in, your, in this life. This dude, like 180s every page, he's like, you gotta believe in yourself, even if you're like a whore. But abuse is serious, and I want you to know that you're loved and you're worthy of value. It's like the the yin yang. It's like half, it's like one page is one way and the next is the other. But they fit together well. Sure. I'm thinking it's kind of like a show where he's like, I know things about psychology, but I tell it how it is. And he's like, you're a bad husband because you like masturbating too much. Not, you're a bad husband because women's labor and the fact your wife does all the chores. Do you not remember this from part one? Oh, I might have cut that out. Yeah, one of the things he was known for on Oprah was like a husband and wife came on. He's like, uh, you got to fix your relationship because you jerk it too much. And everyone's like, <laughs> Dr. Phil. Yeah. That's disgusting. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is daytime TV at its best, Naomi. I just had no idea that so many people... You could watched. be watching this, or you could be watching America's Next Top Model. You know, the, the early is aughts... Is that still on? I don't know. But, you know, the early aughts were a great time for network television. Okay. So the question he has is... Have you thought through like all the different aspects of like your personal or your personality and your personal truth? And do you have like a good self-image? And these are, again, I think are decent questions to ask yourself. So some of these are, do I feel I have to disguise myself? Do I believe I lack intelligence? Do I lack confidence? Is there something that's fundamentally wrong with me? Do I live with shame or guilt? Do I think that someone close to me, such as a best friend or sister, is somehow better than I am? Do I feel like a fraud? Do I feel unworthy of love? Am I damaged goods? Do I believe that I'm not going to find happiness? Do I say to myself that I'm not worthy? And do I believe that I'm totally clueless in comparison with my peers? So he says, if you believe a lot of these things, then you need to work through them, right? Like if this is how you're approaching dating, if this is how you're approaching your life, you're going to lack confidence. And some of these are going to require therapy. Some of them are going to require like figuring out your best characteristics and the fact that actually you do have really good qualities to make up for that. I don't know. It's interesting where he's not like everyone needs therapy because clearly that's a message that you might get by watching his show. But simultaneously, I think he's sort of undervaluing the fact that therapy could help people who don't feel like they have any skills or anything to offer the world. 
again, talking with friends or family would be really, really helpful here where it's like, hey, I don't feel good about myself in a dating realm. Maybe someone who's close to me can say some nice things about myself to cheer me up. Is 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 that so crazy of a solution? Yes. <laughs> okay. So in order to sell yourself on you, you have to change each one of these statements and these answers and the perceptions that lead you to them into positive, constructive thoughts. So you have to sit down and define the character of you. And you got to write it out. So if the, the sentence, I am blank, is in front of you, and you said a teacher, a student, a daughter and sister, a Christian or a single white female, you got to try again. It's annoying, isn't it? Who are you is a question that leads to another question. What do you mean? Do you want my name, my age, my religion, my gender, my occupation, my role in my family, who I am to my friends, the person I am with my business associates? So many of us despise this question. We don't like writing about ourselves or talking about ourselves. We don't even like thinking about ourselves all that much, and that is a big problem if you're looking to make a love connection. Getting noticed in the single scene is all about getting in touch with your own unique character. You have to be distinctive. You don't want to be any old face in the crowd. You may think all eyes go to the tall, skinny blondes when they come into the room, but don't they all kind of look alike? Be someone distinctive. I'm not saying you should try to appeal to everybody. There's no way you're out there trying to get everyone in your zip code to date you. That's easy, and so is the girl who does that, which is about the nicest thing you can say about her. Oh, I didn't even catch that the first time. He's like, the girl who tries to appeal to everyone? She's easy. She's a whore. <sighs> Some of you are the Jennifer Aniston type. Sweethearts with a charm and magnetism you can't help loving. Then you've got your Angelina Jolie sexpot types. Both women are highly successful. Both are highly attractive. Both would appeal to an awful lot of men, even to the same man. But those women are about as different as day and night. Make an impression precisely because they're so distinct. And that's what you have to do. Make an impression. Luckily, there are a lot of different ways to do this that don't involve dating Brad Pitt. Ha ha ha. Naomi... Do you consider yourself more of a Jennifer Aniston or an Angelina Jolie? All women are one of them. I don't want to answer that question. You don't want to answer that question? Uh, I would consider myself more of an Angelina Jolie. Are you a sex pot or nice? I'm not a sex pot. This is how Dr. I just have to Phil categorizes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. He could give like two or three more examples, but instead he's like, "There's women I want to have sex with, and there's women who are friendly." I think it's because Jennifer Aniston has bigger boobs than Angelina Jolie. Oh, God, is it that? Mm -hmm. She worked on her bus line, and mm -hmm. I like that. <laughs> nice is the keyword there. So this all starts by you accepting that you are who you are. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't improve yourself where and when you can. This is not an excuse to be lazy. If you're overweight, jack it up and get the extra pounds off. Not only for the sake of your appearance, for your health, energy, self-esteem, and attitude. I'm sorry, have you seen Dr. Phil? Superficial? Maybe. But if you want to win, you're going to have to work at it and take your game to the next level. The difference between winners and losers is that winners do things losers do not want to do. Someone's been watching America's Next Top Model yeah. on TV. <laughs> if your hair and clothes look right out of I Love the 80s, then change them. You don't want people to see you and think, oh yeah, I'm old enough to remember when that was in style. Look around, have some social sensitivity, and clean up your act. Don't tell yourself that it's okay and that it shouldn't matter if it's not okay. It does matter. So he's like, hey, figure out what's wrong with you. And... After giving all of this, like, not horrible advice, I think a lot of people are going to have serious difficulty being like, is there something about my behavior or conduct or appearance that people find unattractive? 
And I feel this leads to relying a lot on ugly stereotypes like, oh my God, I weigh more than 200 pounds. Clearly no one will ever love me. Time to get bulimia. And again, I think the better thing is talk with people around you you respect and trust and be like, hey, I noticed that a lot of, let's say you're a woman seeking men, a lot of men don't like my personal style. Do you think that there's something about my outfits and my like attire that people may or may not find appealing? I should say this, um, stepping outside of the, the podcast for a second, I am um, brother to a great sister. Naomi Rose Guy, uh, co-host of this podcast. And um, she's done wonders for my personal style by purchasing me clothing and forcing me to throw out articles of clothing in the last couple of years. I have several pieces of clothing, including a lovely pink sweater that I wear on a consistent basis because Naomi was like, Joel, this will look great on you. And um, everything else you own is frumpy. (laughs) (laughs) All I'm saying is that if you meet the right person, they will not care what you wear. I disagree slightly. Okay. I think... Why? I think most people in the dating world are shallow. And I think even if long-term they can accept you for who you are, in the short-term you want to put your best face forward interacting with them. I think his advice that's like, hey, chubby, stop eating ice cream is bad. But I, I think the more general thing like... Maybe think about, like, a different haircut. Maybe think about, like, a different outfit change. It, it's we not horrible. talked about It's not confidence. changing yourself. It's being the best version of yourself. We talked about confidence. Obviously, I'm not saying people should show up on first dates in sweatpants. Okay, if that's your style, go for it. But what I'm saying is, if you feel confident in a certain outfit and doesn't go in today's trends, and it doesn't, you, like, other people don't think it looks good on you, but you feel confident, you walk taller in it, the person isn't going to notice what you're wearing. They're going to notice the fact that you are confident, that you exude this energy of, oh, I'm here. I'm ready to be on this date. I'm not like shifting in my clothing, like things like that. I agree and I disagree. I feel it's... Joel it's, disagrees. We can move on. It, it's, 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 a, it's a reinforcing pattern. If you're wearing something you're confident and comfortable in, you're going to be more confident and comfortable. If you're more confident and comfortable, whatever outfit you're wearing is going to, like, play off better, right? Like, the, these things go hand in hand. I don't think either of them are, like, exclusive. We're saying the same thing, but you're wrong and I'm right. Okay. Okay. Great. Joel Guy, feminist. <laughs> <laughs> He also paints this idea of the defined product as like, oh God, is he painting it similarly to how I am? He's like, men are not dating detectives. They're not there out consciously looking for a life partner that women have. They're not going to come into your life with the sole purpose of assessing whether or not you are the one. They're not going to dig and root around looking for the traits, qualities, and characteristics that are the best fit for their special someone. They may not even know what their traits, qualities, and characteristics are. They'll spend endless time researching a new car or boat, which big screen TV has the best picture. But they don't have that same relationship marriage chip in their brain at the same level women do. This means you have to get their attention. I don't fully disagree with this. And I don't think that's a bad thing per se. I think it's very much like a a socialized thing where men are not raised with this expectation that like you have a big fancy wedding and you like get a wife. I'm wondering if that's coming more into vogue because I'm seeing a lot of like far right people be like the most counterculture thing you can do now is be a husband and wife who has two and a half kids and a white picket fence. Every time you say two and a half kids, I always question, what is a half of a kid? 
Um, is it a miscarriage? <laughs> God. People but, are going to cut that and hold it against me. There's a lot they could cut and hold <laughs> against us. We've we've said some things. But, yeah, I, I don't fully disagree with what he's saying here. I think there are certainly men out there who, like, are very interested in, like, different women and, like, will overanalyze them and try to figure them out and see if they're worthy of being their wife. Uh, I don't This is weird phrasing. <laughs> But yeah, I think for the most part, it's more common that women are the ones who are doing a lot of the legwork here. To that extent, you need to put your best foot forward when interacting on first dates or out in public and in the world. Am I crazy? Yes. Okay, that's fair. That's the size of the point. So we skip ahead to a section that I think is interesting because it's the opposite of what Steve Harvey says. So the one complaint I hear from men is that they're dating Stepford women. You know, like the Stepford wives. Yes. They go out on a date and all they hear is, oh, yes, I completely agree. That's great at first. Why wouldn't you love someone who likes all of your ideas, laughs at all your jokes, focuses solely on you, and buys in everything you say? I'm going to let you in on a little secret, Naomi. Men need to feel that they've worked for and earned something or they will not value it. Easy come, easy go. If you give up too easily, you're not going to hold his interest. At first, being agreeable is all well and good, but eventually we want to know your genuine opinion. And if you don't have one, you're snooze city. A guy could pick up a coma patient and get the same thrill he has with you. All men want is a genuine opinion. It doesn't matter if that opinion is different or even shocking as long as it's real and honest and doesn't involve human sacrifice. A guy is happy. He's entertained. He's interested. He's curious. He feels like he's getting to know you. He's just explaining delayed gratification, but in a really pervy way. I guess. Like, it it feels the opposite of Steve Harvey, because Steve Harvey is like, men only care about providing for people. No, but he's also saying, like, it's the same thing as Steve Harvey, which is like, don't give up your, your cookie until, like, 12 dates in or something like that. Oh, it's a 90-day no, rule. It's 90 no, day. no, because cause remember... When, he, when he's talking, he's like, men want to profess, protect, and provide, and they don't want to be one of your girlfriends, right? Like, you, I dislike the fact that you remember this much about Steve Harvey, and you can quote it directly. Because <laughs> I read it multiple times in preparation for this. I think it's also kind of toxic, because then you get these guys who are like, tell me your body count. Tell me your body count. Oh, I won't be mad. Just tell me your body count. Just just say it. Just say your body count. Three, two, one, body count. <laughs> right? Or Or you have guys who like, really want to like whittle down a woman when she just doesn't want to engage with a lot of topics. And I think like for the topic of body count, a lot of women are probably better off and happier not mentioning it. I don't think that conversation will ever go as smoothly as Mitten say it will. But then I also feel this is kind of fundamentally untrue because of all the men who are like progressive women are disgusting. I can't believe they have these crazy beliefs. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, so, like, if men actually genuinely want a different opinion, you'd have all these men who are, like, on the far right of the political spectrum being very deeply attractive to progressive women and forming long-term relationships with them. And who knows? Maybe that's the truth. And the only problem is progressive women just won't date these guys because they find their politics reprehensible. So we talked about the right stuff a couple of months ago. And I'm just wondering, like, how successful that app has been of, like, putting people together. And I know, obviously, it is fairly new, so they don't have, like, a good way of tracking that, especially since, like, the way of tracking it is, like, marriage or, like, long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. But I really wonder, like, what their success rate is because apparently – 
men want to be challenged. So after all this advice, Steve, Steve, oh God, <laughs> Phil goes back they're to- the same person. They're the same person. You ever see him in the same room? Phil goes back to um, his feminist side. No. So he says, well, a lot of women might be sitting here thinking, what if I just don't have any great characteristics? You don't. And he says, let me put it to you this way. What is the best of what you've got? I'm not saying if you had your druthers, you'd pick those traits out of a catalog, but relatively speaking, given only what you have to work with, what are your long suits? Think of it this way. If we were lost in the forest and had to survive, the first thing I would ask is, what do we have? Do we have blankets, a compass, flares, match, food, a tent? Some women are really, really good with a survival instinct using what the good Lord gave you approach. Recently, Robin and I were attending a function at a governor's mansion. Both of us were going to be making a speech in front of a distinguished black tie crowd. When she opened her suitcase, she realized she had brought only one shoe. Then, in her haste to get dressed, she broke one of the spaghetti straps on her gown. So here we are, clock ticking, broken strap on gown and one shoe. Did she panic? No. Next thing I know, she comes out of the room looking like a million bucks. I have no idea how she did it, but she never missed a beat. You women know how to make the best of what you've got. You do it every day of your life. Think of the every time you've done something like this, whether it was when you fixed that unraveled hem using a glue gun or created an entire lunch won't look to anyone else to be an empty refrigerator. All that was preparation for what we're talking about right here, right now. All those experiences were just preparing you for this moment in time. But we had to do those things. We don't have to seek out a partner that we have to fucking fix every <laughs> single day. So why would we want to stay with someone that we have to glue gun back together? Uh, that's an interesting point. I think it's more interesting digging into the fact that Dr. Phil even, like, recognizes this. Like, this seems like someone who, dare I say, respects women to a degree. Where he's like, women have a lot of skills based off of how they're raised. I don't know if he's endorsing how women were raised or the expectations put upon them. That's an entirely different thing. But this seems like a very good representation of the idea of like women's work and women's labor that's often like unrecognized and he's like even if you're not someone who has all these qualities you still have this innate thing that's been like part of your upbringing most of the time i don't want to hear this conspiracy any longer (laughs) (laughs) look you can respect women and still be really mean to women like he is on his show no i I keep hearing this thing where, like, obviously I don't want to bring up Kanye on our podcast, but, like, the vast majority of men, like Kanye, only respect women for their roles that they play in their lives. So, like, Kanye respects women, in big quotes, because he has a daughter, he has a wife, but those are titles that he's given those people in his life, and the only reason why he thinks that he respects other women is because he's like, oh, that's somebody's wife, that's somebody's daughter. So we get to the hotel. Robin, she didn't bring her weights to work on her bus line. (laughs) So you know what she does? She goes and gets an ice bucket from down the hall. And she ties like like a a little piece of string around the bucket. And she uses that to lift weights while we're waiting for the governor's speech thing. You know that those buckets don't weigh very much, right? Well, she's a weak woman. She's a weak woman. Yeah. That's why she forgot her shoe. Okay, we're moving on to chapter four, Naomi basically he wraps up and is like you got good traits just figure it out sit down do the legwork (laughs) (laughs) chapter four is single there are no such accidents uh wendy liebman he quotes here i've been on so many blind dates i should get a free dog get it 
because yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he's just using these like random quotes. I don't think they're nearly as funny or as impactful or helpful as he thinks they are. Um, so he gives this example of one of his producers coming into his office and being like, what am I doing wrong? In my job, I've been exposed to some of the best life-changing advice ever, yet I just can't make a long-term committed relationship happen. So he's like, how much time are you spending on finding a new relationship each week? And she's like, I don't know, three or four hours. And he says, that's barely enough time to go out on a Saturday night. The time you allot to find a life partner needs to reflect the high priority you place on accomplishing the goal. I think that's true. If... You think of dating as like once a week spending an hour swiping on Tinder. You're probably not going to be as successful as someone who's like doing it on a daily basis and actively messaging people. Yeah. yeah. Like it's very much uh, – it's not <laughs> you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It's the whole idea that like you make luck by putting yourself in more situations. Like you're not going to find a partner unless you're creating a lot of situations where you can find a partner. So the more time you're spending on dating apps, the – the greater the likelihood you'll make that match. Uh, now, if you're spending a lot of time and not getting any returns, maybe it's time to go back and reevaluate, you know, what you're doing and your strategy. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's it's horrible advice to say if you deeply care about a relationship, invest lots of time into it. Can I ask you a question? I would spend you, five minutes a week on my relationship. Would you ever call Lauren shorty or shoddy? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. When we were in Kansas, Lauren was sitting on the floor in the living room wrapping presents, and me and her mother and her brother left to go buy some some food for 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 a holiday dinner. Yeah. And um, Lauren looks at us as we walk out the door and says, "Bye, King." And we all walk out and get in the car. And her brother is like, "Does he no- does she normally call you King?" And I'm like, "No, it was really <laughs> weird. That's never happened before." And mother's like. Yeah, that seemed really, really strange. So we're all like making fun of her <laughs> in the car ride. We get back and uh, I mentioned this to her and I got back. I was like, why did you call me King? She's like, I didn't call you King. And I'm like, yeah, you did. We all heard it. She <laughs> said, I said, by team. And it's like, no, no, you did not. Um, but what that led me to conclude is that she I don't like me. nicknames and nicknames really confuse me. And the only exception is if it's a really awkward, embarrassing nickname that I can give her and use to make her feel awkward and embarrass her consistently. You call her babe, though. Do I call her babe? I thought you just called her babe. No, I call her bay, like Old Bay seasoning, because she smells like Old Bay and peanut butter. (laughs) She looks like a footstool. Do you have any nicknames with your partner? I do. We call each other... He calls me shawty. Shot. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He does mm. not have a license. Um, he got, he's called babe, baby, um, dipshit. You know all the good ones. Sup nerds. Sup nerds. Oh, that's my line. So one thing he also suggests is that you spend some time reevaluating past relationships to see like what went wrong in those and what you found like good and bad. And Naomi, I feel you've done some. <laughs> Reevaluation of old relationships. Would you say that's fair? I'm in my healing process. Okay, <laughs> but yes, would you I say have, yes? Have, yeah. Would you say you've selected a partner who doesn't have some of the same issues you might have had in the last relationship? Oh yeah, for sure. And I feel like at the same time with that, I have selected a partner that I have successfully done a lot of healing with. In the sense that, like, I was both of us were a little bit more broken down than the normal single person. 
and we kind of fell into the relationship in the sense that we were just like, we want to continue to spend time together. And it's hard to just say we're just friends because like, if you just go to a, like a baseball game, someone's going to be like, Oh, is this your girlfriend? No, she my shoddy. She my shoddy. But I feel like I've selected a partner that both of us have done a lot of reflection and a lot of healing on our past relationships. And we have done it the exact opposite that both of us have done in past relationships in the sense that like, if something happens, we do the exact opposite reaction than we, that we did before. Yeah. Fair enough. So he, he's like, Hey, figure out what worked and didn't work. And then gives another fairly helpful list of questions to work from. So these include what were your problems and frustrations with the relationship? What were the problems your partner had with you? What are 10 key statements about the pain you still feel and the open wounds you still have? For each of these statements you wrote down, ask yourself, what was my role in this? You teach people how to treat you. Did you teach your partner how to treat you badly? What part of your last relationship did you want to leave in the past forever? And then what do you have to change to get over your last relationship and how do you need to heal? I don't think these are bad questions, but it does kind of feel like he's opening up like, guide to being a relationship counselor and like taking lessons from that that you have to like kind of tailor to individuals and just broad brushing that all women need to do this i don't think that like reflection is the best way of putting it i think it's like okay how do i want to be treated in my next relationship and how am i gonna go about my next relationship in a mature and successful way that's fair it doesn't have to be as extensive as he said but i also think that not everyone has to like do that reflection because it's just like okay I wasn't the problem in my last relationship. And and I think you're going to find situations where you end a relationship on good terms where you're like, hey, for whatever reason this didn't work out, but I still want to be friends with you. There can be relationships that end due to circumstances outside your control, such as like parents don't want this to happen or like one person has to move. Or like we love each other, but we don't have any shared interests. Sure. Yeah. I, I think all of those are like completely feasible. So not applicable to everyone, but eh, not, not a bad list either. He also says it's really important that you don't give off desperation. He's like, men can sense desperation. And he says, men read desperation only one way. You don't have what you need, so you're going to take it from me. I, That's what I, I think. Uh, I am a leech, and I'm going to take what mm-hmm. I need from other people. He, he literally says, if she is lonely, she's going to take my independence and my free time. If she's under happy, she's going to bring me down. I am happy before I met her. I'm happy at a level 10. She's happy at level 0. I don't want to sink from like a 10 to a 5. So he's like, it's really important that you don't come across as desperate. So he gives some examples. He gives some questions you should ask yourself to see if like you are someone who is desperate. Uh, he gives 20. I'll read a couple of them. I must make this work because if I don't, I am a loser. These are sentences you should circle if you agree with them. Mm -hmm. If I don't get married by 35, I'll die alone. I must be a loser because everyone in my family and life is getting into meaningful relationships but me. There must be someone wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me because no one asked me out a second time. I need his approval. He will dump me like all the rest. I really am an idiot in relationships. I am afraid or depressed most of the time I am with someone because I fear failure. I never live in the moment and enjoy a relationship because I'm always worrying about whether or not there is a future with my partner. I want to avoid pain at all costs and I live in fear that my partner will hurt me. I need reassurance so I have to test him by pushing him to see if he'll prove that he cares by staying. I have to protect myself so I'll not get hurt again. 
So he says, if you circled even three of the above statements, yes, you are desperate. You're either desperate to get a man or desperate to avoid getting hurt. If more of your circle statements are numbered 1 through 10, then you're desperately afraid of being alone. If more are numbered 11 through 20, then you fear getting hurt and losing your balance most of all. In either case, you're undermining your chances for the good relationship I'm assuming you want, given that you're sitting here reading this book. I'm just dumbfounded at the fact that he's just like, you're desperate. What? Is that any of your business? (laughs) (laughs) He also gives, like, a list of the different, like, forms of desperation and i feel like he's very leaning into stereotypes he's like you you think you're past your prime if you believe in ageism i can assure you that you're fueling it peers attract peers at every stage of the human lifespan you're in a screaming emotional dive your last relationship crashed and burned you're looking for a new outlet for all of your emotions while the ashes of the old one are still smoldering Choosing a mate when you are hurting ensures a shoddy selection process. Shoddy. <laughs> <laughs> because you're moving away from pain, not towards a good partner. I think that's good advice. Choosing a mate when you're hurting ensures a shoddy selection process because you're moving away from pain, not towards a good partner. Okay. Once the hurt subsides and you're fully rebounded, you will look at the choices you've made and realize he's just someone, as in not the one for you. Uh, others are like you're watching your room's biological clock, you're an independent woman, you're afraid to play with fire, and you think you're fat and ugly. So, like, I I think, again, like, figuring out what sort of desperation you are might be helpful. I'm not sure if it's going to apply to all people. And I think by maybe putting them in this book, many women will read into it who don't need to. This kind of feels like over-therapying people. But also, people don't, like, they over-criticize themselves. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have, like, a good sense of, like, self-reflection. And so I feel like putting the... We talked about this, like, in previous episodes where, like, in psychology classes, they tell you not to self-diagnose. But, like, people are like, oh, well, I sort of fall into that category, so they'll check it. And then they're getting called desperate by Dr. Phil. Sure. And then they're like, oh, I need to, like, do more healing before I can go out in the world and, like need to be the perfect partner. And it's like, you're never going to be the perfect partner for the person that you're with. Damn. We should write a dating advice book, Naomi. We should. 2023 is our year. 2023. 2020. Oh, wait, I can't say that yet. You can't say? It's not our time. Yeah, it's not our time. Okay. So... The question then is, what if you're overanalyzing things? You know, what if you're treating yourself too harshly? And so he says you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. And the answer never seems to be ask other people in your life if they agree with the things that are being said. So, again, never saying anything like talk to your siblings, talk (laughs) to your family, talk to the people you hang out with. However, he does say... Ask yourself if objective sources, maybe your friends or relatives, think this thought is true. Does this thought serve my best interests? Is it healthy for me to maintain this thought? And is this thought helping create an attitude that will get me what I want and deserve in a relationship? And he says, if you can't answer in the affirmative to all the above questions, drop that fight right, drop that thought right then and there. It's amazing how mean some women can be to themselves. So he says you have to consider like the difference between someone who's thinking destructively versus someone who's thinking realistically. So a destructive thought is I don't look good without a tan. I feel insecure when I'm pale. A realistic thought is I look great with a tan, but I'm still pretty without one. I'm confident no matter what. Oh my God, is Dr. Phil a feminist? (laughs) Destructive, that guy just wants to talk to my friend. I'll let my friend do the talking. Realistic, I wonder if that guy is interested in me or my friend. I'll engage him in conversation and find out. Destructive, if he finds out I'm not wealthy, he'll leave. I'll lie and put on an act to get him to stay. 
Realistic, if he needs to marry rich, we're not a match. I will be forthright about my financial status and see how he reacts. Destructive, he's just going to dump me like the others. I'm not going to get involved. Realistic, I don't know what is going to happen, but I will give it time and see what develops. So Dr. Phil is like, hey, women, don't beat yourself up. If you're a teen girl, don't let anyone be mean to you. <laughs> it, it is interesting to me that like this person morphs into such like a horrendous person that we talked about in the last episode. Like, is it just that he thinks that like only adult women are deserving of respect and love? Um, only adult women are deserving of respect and love because um, only adult men should be dating ad- other adult women. They shouldn't be dating women that aren't adults. I didn't follow that, but sure. Yeah. Whatever you, whatever you. Don't be a perv. Um, that's fair. So he gives some like suggestions if you don't feel confident for how to be more confident. I don't think this is a comprehensive list, but it's helpful. Make sure you're taking a fair share of time in most conversations. 50% of a conversation in a twosome, 33% in a threesome, and so forth. Smile, laugh, and look happy and engaged. That's what makes people approachable in the center of attention. Don't have a problem taking center stage. Um, don't be more concerned with what they think of the person they're speaking to than what the person thinks of them. Um, you want to dress to turn heads. You want to make eye contact. You have to understand that people respond to energy rather than looks. Focus on expanding their personality. Get the attention. Um, make sure you can keep your cool in every social situation from the most flattering to the most awkward. Be comfortable just standing back and listening as being the center of it compared to as being the center of the attention. I don't like that rule, like staying cool in all situations, because like I feel like people should be able to show their emotion and have their emotion validated. I think they're different situations. So he's like every social situation from the flattering to the most awkward. Don't let external events dictate how you see yourself. So if you're like in a situation where I don't know, maybe you had like a really nice dress and you fell into the pool or something and you're like soaking wet, like freaking out and crying and be like, cool people wouldn't do that. Yeah, but it's like awkward and it's like, okay, feel your feelings and let it out and then like move on. I, I think I know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. I think the way like, he's the way he's phrasing it is not having emotions necessarily is bad. It's don't let it dictate how you see yourself. But at yeah. the same time, I'm not saying like, okay, okay. We're saying the same thing. You're just not <laughs> hearing what I'm saying. Oh, do you want to talk about this? Yes. Go ahead. Nothing. <laughs> okay. And then he's like, what do confident people actually like think about themselves? And, you know, you want to build up your kind of personality and your like emotional voice until you're saying these exact same things. Um, confident people say things like, I have a lot of love to give. Any person would be lucky to talk to me. I'm charming and entertaining. I'm great company. I yeah, love being by are. myself. <laughs> I am fabulous. I'm a great catch. My life yeah, is complete. Is that person good enough for me? What do I want? If he's not happy, I'm going to leave. Uh, sorry, if I'm not happy, <laughs> I'm going to leave. I have a great heart and a warm spirit. My happiness depends on me. Life is beautiful. Only I can change my life. There is so much more to me than my looks. I'm wise and experienced, and I'm a beautiful human being. If you can look at these statements and nod your head in agreement, it's official. You now have the kind of confidence that propels relationships forward. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if right at this moment you're looking at your past dates and romances and shaking your head and wondering about how scared you once were, whether if getting hurt or feeling alone. You can clearly see and feel great about the difference between how you approach relationships then and how you intend to approach them now. Congratulations. You can start to do things differently. I think that the best relationship advice I was ever given was by social media. And I know that really sucks to say, but I was uh, reading 
through Twitter one day and it was like, you have to focus on how you feel about the other person, not how the other person fo- like feels about you. Because a lot of the time you'll go on a date and you'll be like, oh, wow, that went really well. I hope that person likes me. And you're not focused on, oh, how did I feel? Did I feel good in that situation? Did I feel like awkward? Did I feel safe? Like you don't focus on yourself. You focus on the other person. And that continues throughout the time that you're dating people. Mm-hmm. And so if you sit back and you think, do I want to continue to go on a, like dates with this person? You have to reflect on yourself and not the other person. And it, it gives you a little bit of a wider range of, oh, maybe I didn't really like that person. And it saves you a lot of time. Yeah. No disagreement for me. Chapter five, I think we can kind of skip over. It's kind of a retread. It's not really mind-blowing advice. It's called The Inner Bride. And it's talking about like how to portray yourself because – even though he says not every woman needs to be married, some women really, really want to get married. Um, and uh, yeah, how do you create the mental self-image of becoming a bridesmaid? So he's like, hey, keep in mind that when you're trying to be confident, when you're trying to attract people, there's four things that you know draw people in. Presence and style, personality, content, and appearance. And he's like, make a good appearance. <laughs> Have some things to say about yourself. Um, I forget which episode was one of the first ones we did, but we like had like a guide to like engaging in small talk and conversation yeah which i feel we should retread because i do genuinely feel like it's a really good skill to have like the ability to converse with any person you know and just shoot the breeze um but yeah it's it's nothing mind-blowing it's just like don't be weird and you'll have more success thanks phil that's that really answered all my questions about dating yeah uh, now, here's where we may get into some controversial land. I think this is probably the chapter we're going to wrap up on today, and that is your guy Q. Um, he opens with a quote by Ray Barone from Everyone Loves Raymond. Men don't like to cuddle. We only like it if it leads to, you know, lower cuddling. I don't like to visualize my parts being cuddled with my partner's parts. That's yeah. really like like okay, I can visualize sex, that's fine. But like cuddling and the in the genital just <laughs> So he opens with this anecdote where he's like, about a month before our youngest son Jordan left for college, rendering us empty nesters, my you know, wife Robin started exhibiting some warning signs. Let me know this is not gonna be the easiest few months of our married life. She was always often one blink away from tears. One night I woke at around three AM to the sounds and vibrations of her quietly crying in bed next to me. Vibration. <laughs> I uh, must have had a really soft bed. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can you do that a little like like harder? My lower back has been. <laughs> <laughs> now I may not be the sharpest pencil in the box, but I've studied relationships in general and women in particular for years, and I figure I'm no dummy, right? I also figure out that along the way I've learned a few things about how women work, what they want, what they need, and when they want and need it. So lending a supportive spirit, being a shoulder to cry on, and just being there would do a whole lot better than nothing. Given that knowledge, I decided the best thing for me to do would just slip an arm around her and quietly hold her. It seemed to be working because she calmed down. Everything seemed to be fine, and I thought, phew, dodged a bullet on that one, didn't have to say a word. Knowledge is power. A few minutes went by, and just as I drifted back off to sleep, she sat straight up in bed, flipped on the light, looked at me, and said, That's it? That's it? I'm married to Dr. Phil, and I'm upset and crying in the middle of the night, and that's all you got? What a crock. So much for my understanding of the opposite sex. So here Dr. Phil is like, yeah, all my advice is worthless. No, I think that that's just his way of saying, uh, don't cuddle your wife when she's crying. 
Just I, let her. Just pretend you're still sleeping. I don't know what the takeaway here is. And he, what he's Why trying would he to tell that. Intro? Yeah, like he's trying to segue this into like even if like you think like your partner has a good grasp on like your emotions, you still may need to like give them a push. And even me, the smartest man in the world, Dr. Phil, makes mistakes sometimes. This is why he doesn't have a movie. This is why he doesn't have a movie. <laughs> this would be a fun thing to film, though, where it's like this hapless, sexy psychiatrist is in bed with his wife, and she's like, you suck, you're <laughs> horrible. And he's like, do do do. This would actually be a good sitcom. Well, he, he's citing everyone likes Raymond. Clearly he likes sitcoms. These are like sitcom scenarios. You know that show that I told you about, Somebody Feed Phil? Yeah. Yeah, where it's like the old Jewish man like travels uh-huh. to different countries and tries food. He was the executive producer on that show. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, I just think you should have Frasier, but he's played by Ray Romano. <laughs> we have a family member that looks like Frasier. We do have a family member that looks like <laughs> Frasier. It's me. <laughs> it's a bald cap I'm wearing right now. So he's like, you need to know a bit more about, like, men if you're going to, like, get into a relationship with them. And, again, it's like, well, if you know so much about men, why don't you write a dating advice book for men? But I don't know. This, this is the direction he takes it. So he says, you cannot use your experience base, your feminine reasoning, or your powers to deduction to understand how men are wired up and why they do the things they do. By the way, it doesn't work in the other direction either. Men cannot apply their linear logic to understanding the emotional intricacies and intuition of the female. They invariably evaluate and judge female behavior trying to use a male yardstick. That doesn't even almost work. If you need any proof of the difference, just check out some conversations. I heard a comedian capture it well. Check out the way women interact with other women. He's doing a Steve Harvey. I love your new haircut, says Karen. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Diane, do you really think so? I wasn't sure when I first saw it. You don't think it's too short, Karen? Oh no, it's absolutely perfect for you. I would love to get my hair to look like that, but my face is too fat, so I'm stuck with this bird's nest. Diane, are you serious? You're a stick figure and your hair is amazing. Karen, are you kidding me? If I'm a stick, then you must be invisible, and I'd give my right eye to be as half as pretty. But thanks, I'm so glad you liked his haircut. And here's how two guys would play out this conversation. John, haircut? Jeff. Yep. That's the conversation that we had earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, now this is interesting. Um, It did remind me a lot of that, like, Steve Harvey passage where he's, like, the lady was yelling at her partner because some shoddy at work bought the same dress that she had yeah um but he's like here's a key difference between men and women women use an average of seven thousand words per day men use two thousand and i'm like oh that's actually kind of interesting you're gonna cite that nope no citation and i'm like wait so you throw that thing in that seems like potentially be based on research i couldn't find anything about this i learned about this recently apparently um women have a different way of storytelling than men do so women have this thing called um that they have the storytelling effect called the meadow effect or meadow storytelling which is like they describe everything that's going on in the meadow they describe the bunnies jumping through the grass they describe how the wind is whistling through the the leaflets of the grass whatever and it the sky is blue and the sun is shining and the and the weather is just right but men are like oh i was walking through a meadow today that explains it sure i don't think i've ever heard a man use the word meadow 
Well, look, I'm not saying this anecdote's untrue. I just think it's weird that, like, this is the one time he cites something in the book that might have, like, actual research backing it up. And he's like, no, that would require work. Yeah, that's yeah. how I feel for you. It's a lot like um, there's a writer, are you familiar with Howard Zinn? Yeah. You are? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Howard Zinn wrote uh, People's History of the United States and a couple of other things. But he was like, hey, let's write out history from, like, the perspective of... Um, uh, poor people, maligned people, prisoners. Let's talk about like U.S. history through the perspective of what if it was like the wealthy and powerful's influence that caused like all the major historical events. It's an interesting book, but Zen does this thing where he's really, really bad with citations, and this is something that historians hate him for. Like even like super progressive historians are like, dude, you have nothing backing this up. And even when he does, like he doesn't bother like mentioning where he got it. Like some of his books, some of his work have like bibliographies and others do not at all. And it's really frustrating because he'll, he'll make conclusions based off of like very small amounts of evidence, which seem like they might be true, but the evidence just doesn't support the claim that he's making. And the same way here, I'm like, Dr. Phil, you have all these amazing researchers working for you. You have a TV show. You clearly have some knowledge because you have a PhD of like psychiatry and psychology. You're telling me you can't cite a single research paper? I don't know. It, it seems like this was a very slapdash job or maybe he even got like just a ghostwriter. This like. is why he funds um, the, those youth uh, camps. Oh he's my God, like, the youth write the books for him. Yeah, he's like, I don't, I don't have a license anymore and I'm too lazy to get my license back to help heal these people. So I'm just going to send them to this awful camp where they get um, horribly abused. Yeah. So he's like, look, men and women, they, they talk differently. They think differently. They, they, men tend to forget things and details more than women do. That's normal. That's not like a problem. Um, I do think he's maybe like leaning a little more into the whole like DNA is destiny thing that we've talked about before. And like men are from Mars yeah. where it's like well, men and women are completely different. And, and that feels very religious. And I thought that even before he got to page 117, where he says, I could have saved myself years of frustration if I had only understood that my wife Robin was only doing what God had designed her to do. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> this entire book has been pretty secular. And all of a sudden you're like, well, God made Adam and Eve and they didn't have belly buttons. And that's just science. Could you imagine having a belly button? Not having a belly button, not having a belly button piercing. What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm so lost. So he does provide some caveats, but I don't know. Like, either having this many caveats makes his entire argument worthless because he's like, some people do this, and 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 some people are different like that. Or it's good because it provides more context to what he's saying and doesn't generalize. I do lean towards like it being useless because a lot of this advice seems to be he's like throwing 50 darts at the dartboard and he's like, look, I got a bullseye. Some of it may be helpful for people, but a lot of it seems like he's just talking out of his butt. Uh, The caveat is men are not all the same. Some are more emotional than others. Some are more sensitive than others. And some are just more in touch with their feminine side than others. What I'm about to tell you is true more often than not because there are some common trends and some commonly held positions, values, and beliefs. All this can come with exceptions to everything I'm able to say. If you embrace this knowledge as generally true, you will do very well in understanding what makes guys guys. 
So, Naomi, I have a couple questions for you. Shoot. And then I think that is going to... Wrap up our episode? Wrap up our episode. Of part two of Dr. Phil. Dot part two of Dr. Phil. Um, so he has a couple of questions for you to see if women can separate facts from fiction. Okay. So the first one is all men think about is sex, fact or fiction. Uh, fact. Okay. Uh, men habitually <laughs> run from or avoid commitment and are, about, and are all wannabe players, fact or fiction. Fiction. Men grow up to be just like their fathers. Uh, fiction. Men compare every woman to their mother. <laughs> fiction. Men are insensitive, inconsiderate jerks. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Uh, men need to feel like the leader in relationships. Um, fiction. Um, men think it's weak to acknowledge needs. Fiction. Men only want what they can't have. Fact. Men are intimidated by strong women. Fiction. Men are selfish. <laughs> okay, so I'll say this. These questions don't seem fair from the simple perspective that, like, almost all of these, I'm like, yeah, there's a third or a fourth or a fifth option that you're not yeah. considering. It's you're really, that, really, really like, broad brushing. Is it all men or is it some men? Is yeah. it, are you saying every single man that I've ever met? Or are you saying um, every single man that I have ever come in contact with plus everybody else. Yeah, and, and I think he's doing that thing where, like, women will use hyperbole and be like, men are dogs. And they don't mean that men are literally, like, four-legged canines. They mean that, like, some men they've had issues with. And again, someone who just did a section where he's like, men and women communicate differently should probably understand that women sometimes use hyperbole. Men might also sometimes use hyperbole. See, I do this thing where I'm like, oh, I hate all men. And then my partner will be like, oh, me too. And it's just like, it's not, it, we're not saying all men. Right. We're saying everyone that we've dealt with before we've met the perfect person for us. But yeah, he's just creating this false dichotomy. Um, and here would be a really good opportunity for him to like cite some actual research to support busting or supporting these myths. And he does nothing like that. Because uh, he's not a quoter. Yeah. He's not a citer. He says, when responding to anonymous surveys as like support for what they they. For, for support to these. So regarding the all men think about his sex, uh, he says, when responding to anonymous surveys, men confess that one of the first things that goes to their mind when they meet a woman is what kind of sexual partner she would make. I just saw something this morning. It was a Joe Rogan sketch when he was doing stand-up, and he was uh, like, Um... I, I should mention, if I cut that out of the episode, listeners, what Naomi said was so reprehensible, so gross, I felt I had to to preserve your integrity and modesty and chastity by cutting it out. I think you should just blank every other word in that. Just, like, <laughs> censor every other word. Second question. Men habitually run from or avoid commitment and are all wannabe players. Well... Like women, men also crave acceptance, validation, companionship, and family and just want to feel sexy, desirable, and interesting. Oh, really helpful. Uh, to the point men grew up just like their fathers. Um, he says if you want to understand a guy, take a close look at his father. And again, no research that supports this. But he's like, men do frequently grow up with values and beliefs that reflect the father figure in their life. However, there are exceptions. Because all children are mirrors, but it doesn't mean that those mirrors are going to be like that, that their entire lives. Uh, what about mothers? 
No, but what I'm what saying is... any other figure? When you're acting around a child that you're raising, you have to act in a careful way because all children are mirrors. They'll say things that you say. They'll act in ways that you act. But He's not saying that. Decision. He's saying if you want to understand the guy, not like a baby's going to say things the dad says. You're not listening. <sighs> I think he's broad brushing far too much. I think all people absorb things from authority figures that help raise them. And I think it's far... But it's the conscious action that you make to not do those things on a daily basis. Not act the way that your dad treated you on a daily basis. But again, you're saying a mother, assuming you're raised in like a two-parent family, has had no impact? I'm not saying that at all. He's saying men do frequently grow up with values and beliefs that reflect the father figure in their life. Well, because Dr. Phil was raised in a time. I'm not even going to say that. Dr. Phil is a stupid (laughs) a-hole who says that men cannot have a feminine side to them. And so he's saying that men are only taking in things from their fathers because if they took in anything from their mothers, it would be feminine. Well... Here's the thing. To the point men compare every woman to their mother, he says, no matter how long his other relationships have been, the one he has with his mother is the most powerful and prominent. I heard something recently. It was like, no one loves you. No one's going to love you like that person that is your partner because everybody loves you for a reason. So your mother loves you because you're her son. Your sister loves you because you're her brother. Your dad loves you because you're his son, so on and so forth. But the person that is your partner or the people that are your partner chose you to love, they chose to love you. That's depressing. (laughs) Okay, do you agree with that? No matter how long his other relationships have been, the one he has with his mother is the most powerful and prominent. What if he doesn't like his mom? Um, He says if he resents his mother for abusing or leaving his father, he may be paying for the sins of the woman who came before you. Cool, he should heal. Not my problem. Do you agree that every single man is defined no, by... Okay. I wouldn't say that. Now, I again, he's like, okay, there will be exceptions. But he's like, don't be oblivious of these dynamics. You will have a heck of a time trying to redefine your relationship. What if he was raised by two gay dads? They don't exist, Naomi. Oh, you're right. Oprah wouldn't <laughs> allow it. Yeah. Men are insensitive and considerate jerks. He says, men are wired differently, hormonally and neurologically, and have been socialized differently from birth. Men have been designed and socially trained to be less sensitive and emotional because they're expected to do jobs that necessitated less emotional reactivity. And that doesn't make them any better or worse than women. It just makes them different. So maybe the truth is that men are insensitive, but only if you're comparing them to the way you all carry around with your girlfriends, mothers, and sisters. When men are in the locker room, they're calling each other butthead and scumbag, and those are terms of endearment. Meanwhile, women are hugging each other, listening intently, and comfortably supporting each other with sensitivity. Bottom line is fiction. Men don't care any less, they just respond less and express less. Ah, I tend to agree with that. He also has this aside in the middle of here where he's like, I'm adapting from the greatest joke book ever told by Mel Green. A couple of ways men differ from a woman. And this is... God, I nearly called him Steve Harvey again. Uh, This is how Phil uh, wants to present um, some humor to his audience. You have to admit that sometimes the differences in how we see each other are pretty funny. Here's a couple of differences, Naomi. Men's phone conversations, they last about 15 seconds. Uh, when watching TV, he doesn't have to stop on every show that has someone crying. What? To men, chocolate is just another snack. For men, three pairs of shoes are more than enough. 
For men, he can watch a game with his buddy for hours, not say ten words, and part without hurt feelings. He can drop by to see a friend without calling ahead or bringing a little gift with a bow. And he never hears a buddy saying, Do you notice anything different? Great work. Incredible. My, my sides have been split. I need to go to the doctor, Naomi. <laughs> yeah, I, this seems... Extremely generalizing. It seems extremely generalizing. There's also, like, I would argue a hint of sexism to this, where even if he's, like, men express themselves differently, the implication here seems to be, women, you're silly for doing those things. Joel already went over the feminine note. You need to come up with something more original. More original? (laughs) Um, well... Dig in deeper. Dr. Phil respects women, but thinks they're dumb. That's my takeaway. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, To the myth, men need to feel like the leader in relationships... Um, he says, women seem to fare pretty well and they manage their relationships with men in a way that allows the man to think the decisions such as whether to make a commitment or not are totally his idea. Dishonest or just good management? Manipulative? Maybe. Effective? Most assuredly. Uh, the fact, it's a fact, Naomi, men like to feel that at least have some control of the course and progress of their relationships. This feels very Steve Harvey. Yeah. He's like, women... Let men choose where to go to dinner tonight. They want Burger King or Chicky Tenders. Chicky <laughs> Tenders. <laughs> but you have to allow them to make that choice. Yeah, yeah. Men think it's weak to acknowledge needs. He says the truth is that men do have needs. <laughs> Fact. Great. Awesome. Thanks. Really helpful. Um, to men only want what they can't have. He says it's a fact, sort of, like men do have roving eyes. That doesn't mean they're all infidels who will betray Infidels? Infidels. I guess infidel is the word. Yeah, it is. We definitely had that problem a while back. Um, (laughs) Who will betray their wives or girlfriends next time some good-looking or interesting woman crosses their path, but it does mean that many men think about and fantasize about the other side of the fence, if only in passing. Another way this factor expresses relationships is that men will express much more interest in a woman who they cannot take for granted. So he's like, if you set boundaries and, like, very clear problems and, like, things in relationships, men are less likely to break them. If you don't have good boundaries, men will tend to stray. I had to double check that Uh, Dr. Phil wasn't making up the word infidels. Sorry. Yeah. Um, To the myth, men are intimidated by strong women. Fact. Men need to clearly perceive why they're needed. That's very Steve Harvey. So he says if he looks at you and sees you have a solid job, financial security, interesting hobbies, and a great social life, he wonders what he has to offer you. When he can't come up with a good enough answer, the intimidation factor sets in. He fears that you won't want him. He doesn't Men have want to offer. feel needed, especially for their ability to fix things. He doesn't have anything to offer me. I really, again, this would be a great, like, sketch, like, like, rom-com where like there's a guy who's like i'm gonna fix everything and like always break stuff and like his wife has a job as like someone like in a wood shop and he's like i'm gonna fix the cabinet she's like i did that at work today i can do it here he's like no let me fix it and ends up super busted and she has to fix everything comedy naomi (laughs) thank you um and then the final thing that we will discuss today is the myth or the factor fiction men are selfish it's a fact, Naomi. Men can be sort of selfish. Everyone is selfish. But so are women, and both can change. Yes. <laughs> and so here's where we're going to wrap up today. I think we're going to have to do a third part on this. It's not going to you know, take too much of our lives. But, but it will. I'm still, I guess, a little bit up in the air where the advice he seems to give that seems helpful is so generalized as to be useless. And 
I think the reason Steve Harvey is able to release this book that's like totally video. not helpful and horribly sexist is because provocative things are what like people are looking for in relationship culture. Everyone wants to believe that like there's some secret to cracking so that they can, you know, get the best possible partner. And someone who's like, no, you actually have to do hard work and you have to think about yourself and you have to like put time and energy into this isn't going to get as much attention as someone who's like, be a huge misogynist. Women love that. I have nothing left to say. What I'm saying, Naomi, is when we write our book on dating, our book needs to be incredibly provocative. Okay. Um, Have sex with them on the first date. Um... Teach it. Teach him where the clit is on the first date. Hmm. Like I don't even know how to come up with a topic that's not like horribly misogynistic on the whole huge face of it. Maybe that's the point. It's Maybe you like, just have to go so far feminist that it is provocative. So far feminist that it is provocative. Abortions for all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure this out. Yeah. Listeners, thank you for listening to us again this week. Um, for this episode, we discussed more God, I keep calling him Steve Harvey more Dr. Phil <laughs> and his incredible advice which is like Awful. think about your past relationships think about how men treat you we didn't even talk about the fact that the back of the book is just him standing backwards and just half of his bald head <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we're gonna wrap up on Nail we me. hope you have a great week uh, Joel is bad at wrapping up episodes so wear a condom stay safe and we love you Don't smell like peanut butter. And don't look like a footstool.